Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Hey, good morning, Journey Church. Those of you who are here, those of you who are joining us online or sometime later on in the week. Hey, before we get started, I want to just talk about Christmas season that is coming up uh, very quickly and uh, let you know of some, some things that we as the Journey Church are committed to. First off, I want you to understand something from the heart of your pastor, and that is this. I know in the last hundred years, Christmas has become, in America, a very, very family-pocentric holiday. That was never the history of the Christ Mass. Just a personal bias. It is not a family holiday, um, and I'm actually shocked at so many churches that cancel when the Christ mask falls on a Sunday. Not where we're going, not my style, and I'm pretty frustrated with that. It is the Christ mask. It is a church-centered, Christ-centered holiday. Therefore, we will absolutely have the Christ mask here together on Christmas Day, and then we'll go do our family thing. Okay, that's first off. All right? We'll do both Christmas Eve, and it'll be two different messages. Actually, we're, we're going to actually conclude our now 34-week sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount on Christmas morning. So you'll want to come back for that, and then we'll get you out of here, and we'll go off to do whatever else we do on the Christ Mass. Uh, But also, um, it is a time and a season for a call, as Christ being the center of that, to be more like him. And Christ did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Christ Mass, more than any other thing that we do, we want to follow in his footsteps. And we want to represent his hands, his feet, and his heart to this community. So here's what we're doing this year. We have three key areas that we've identified that we know God has put in our ministry portfolio. Not just as individuals, but corporately. And that is the issue or the, the population of those with disability or special needs. Uh, our local schools, particularly Whitmore Elementary and uh, Booth Fickett, now because we actually have um, some good news clubs through Child Evangelism Fellowship that are operating at those schools and members that are, are serving in those ways. And then finally, Goshen Ministries in serving the flood of refugees that are coming into Pena County. And so here's what you're going to do is, and I'm, I'm calling every single person in here to pick at least one thing. What you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to click on this with your phone and you're going to sign up for a key area. So if you want to do a Young Life Capernaum, click on that, sign up for that, just the area. Um, If it's refugees that you're drawn toward, pick that. Or if it is uh, elementary school children, pick them and then you're going to have three options. You don't have to decide yet. But I'm going to serve, give financially, or pray. And all you got to do is pick one of those nine total. Three key areas, one of those issues. You can do more, of course, but we want you to choose one of those. We want to be like Jesus at the Christ Mass. So Christmas generosity here at The Journey, we're going to go for it. You'll hear a little bit more about that as the weeks develop. All right? Um, I want to stop and just open in prayer and just, Father, in Jesus' name, help us to just be more and more and more like Jesus. As those who claim that we are your children, and we follow the Son. We follow in the footsteps of big brother Jesus, the firstborn among many 
many in uh, and, and first fruits amongst a great harvest. We are among that harvest. We're supposed to walk in those footsteps. So Lord, and I pray that as we do this, we'll not only please you, but you take whatever is done and you expand the kingdom in the way that you see fit. And then Lord, as we open your word here this morning, that your peace would be upon us, that we would have ears to hear, um, that your spirit, your words, your heart would be in me as one explaining these things, that you would really be clearly present in this time. We pray this in Jesus' precious name together. Amen. Well, on the screen, you're going to see a picture of my daughter and her little Australian shepherd, Russell. And some of you already know this, but when he was a year old, he was struck by a baby rattlesnake. But no big deal, because it was a baby, right? Yeah, wrong. He was struck by a baby rattlesnake in two nights in the doggy hospital and a vet bill of over $2,000. Listen, rattlesnake venom is a hematoxin. And what does hematoxin do? It ravages tissue and blood. And left untreated, it will destroy, it will maim, and if, if left untreated, it will kill. And I'm here to tell you that this is the power of chronic and acute anxiety in the heart. I'm not talking about simple and appropriate stress that motivates us to finish our homework or to get the sermon done. I'm talking about an ongoing hyper-aroused state of fight or flight. The production of adrenaline and cortisol and all the things that it does to ravage us physically, emotionally, and mentally. In our text this morning from Matthew chapter 6, the word anxiety is going to be used by Jesus six times. And in the Greek, it's the word merimanao. You see a, a definition, even if I can't say it phonetically. But what that, that word merimanao means is to divide. To separate into parts or to cut into pieces. Like venom that ravages the heart, drains life of joy, energy, and hope. We need an antidote for anxious hearts. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, nicknamed the Prince of Pe Preachers, once said, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow but only empties today of its strength. And I need to let you know that anxiety is at an all-time high in our world. In fact, the Gen Zers that are now just coming out of college, entering the workforce, um, Gen Zers have been called the most anxious generation ever. There are now more anti-anxiety medication prescriptions given. There's a greater need for counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, pastors, psychotherapists, you name it. All of them are needed. Um, this past Monday or Tuesday, I received this in the mail. I intercepted it. It has my wife's name on it. This has never happened, it, to my knowledge, in this world. An Anxiety Summit 2022, 16 experts in the field of anxiety and on the back of that card, it said these words, anxiety is more pervasive and severe than we've ever seen, and your clients are finding it harder than ever to cope, new anxieties have emerged, and old ones have intensified. It is into this hyper-aroused, anxious world 
that Jesus speaks to us this morning. I want to be clear about something. I am not anti-medication. I'm not anti-medical uh, field. I'm not anti-psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist. They all have their place and time. But before I am pro-medicine, pro-psychiatrist, psychologist, I am pro the Word of God. These are not antithetical, complementary, but priority is the words of Jesus. So today we are delving into a central text in the scripture from the very heart of the Good Shepherd himself, who absolutely cares about the mental, emotional, and physical state of his sheep. He cares about your emotional health. The Good Shepherd wants to speak to your heart today, your mind into your life. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 31 to see what does Jesus say is the antidote for an anxious heart. This is what he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Are you, uh, uh, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of what you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of, of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Now, I'm saying that on purpose for just a moment because Jesus actually coined a phrase. He made up a word here. Only Jesus has ever used this that we know of, little faith. He turned it into a noun. Like a gentle chiding of children. You little faiths. Um, our translation, O oh, you of little faith. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now this morning, it's very likely that you have all of the food and drink and clothing you need. You do not know, nor have you ever known, the subsistence living that many in the crowd were experiencing. Some of you do. A few of you, most of us know. Uh, many of you may not be Epicurean Gentiles, obsessed with the pleasure that can come from good or better food and drink, that sumptuous dining experience that we all long for, or, or the status that we can gain by being put together in our outfits, the status and the image that we can have amongst others. And, and let's say that you don't know subsistence living nor are you caught up in that shallow Gentile behavior, uh, but you are still divided into pieces, cut into parts, 
your energies, your emotions, the things that you are thinking about are fractured and scattered. And you are experiencing this hyper-arousal that many that Jesus was speaking to have experienced or were experiencing. Maybe it's your job success. Maybe it's an exam coming up. Some of the things that Pastor Tyler was praying for us for. Um, what others think of you. Uh, retirement income and the stock market. Those, I mean, there's many things to be cut into pieces over the issues of this life. And I believe all those things are on the table for the anxiety that Jesus is commanding us to do not be anxious about these things. Listen, I know what it's like to, to wake up at 2 a.m. Um, I don't know if I'm going to call it a panic attack, but it's pretty darn close. I know what it's like to have things going on in my life, my career, and the church of going, oh no, oh no, um, I just laid an egg. That's not a good thing. Uh, I just blew it. I just put my foot in my mouth. There's brewing conflict. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be unemployable. I'm going to fail. I just chased off the best givers. I know all those anxieties to the point where I cannot fall asleep for two hours. I've been there. I bet you, you have as well. Where you cannot shut it off, either before a meeting or after a meeting. And it's into these issues of life that Jesus says, do not be anxious. Three times in ten verses, do not go there. Stop it if you're in process. Do not grow in that direction. Don't be anxious about your life. Now, this threefold commandment, and I, I, I really want you to see the context, the literary context in the Sermon on the Mount. This threefold commandment flows from the previous 24 verses of what Jesus was teaching. In those previous 24 verses, Jesus is emphasizing that we have a daily and ongoing decision between sets of two. Two rewards, two treasures, two eye conditions, and two masters. The two rewards that he was speaking of is to be seen and praised by other people or seen and praised by God. The second set is two treasures. Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal or treasures in heaven where no moth or nor rust destroy nor where thieves break in and steal Two eye conditions, the single or good eye that is focused on one thing that produces a body or a life full of light and joy and goodness and lift or a diffused, distracted, bad eye that produces in the life and the body darkness and confusion. And then finally, two masters, a very worthy master who owns us double, one by creation, one by redemption, God the Father, a worthy master or an absolute unworthy master. Earthly, physical wealth or money. Now here would be the, the most simple thing to do. Uh, so the simple outcome would be having grasped the ultimate value, eternal durability and intrinsic worth of, of these sets of two and chosen the right one in every instance, uh, a heavenly treasure uh, a, a heavenly reward, uh, a good eye condition that focuses solely on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and a good and worthy master, you won't be anxious. Ever again. Simply will not be anxious. You'll be so single-eyed focused on God and his kingdom, you will not be anxious. Can't be done. Wish it was so simple. And by the way, that's all Jesus would have had to say. But Jesus gets us. Jesus knows his sheep. And he knows not, it's not a one-time, all-or-nothing, superlative decision. He knows at best we're going to go through life managing this condition. This envenomation that wants to rob us of peace and bring us down. And so Jesus, in these ten verses, actually gives us five rational reasons why anxiety is incompatible with the Christian life. The fifth one forms our bottom line for the message and touches not just the mind and logic and reason, but begins to touch the heart. Then I believe he also gives us three illustrations that we can ask the question beneath the question, what are these illustrations teaching us? And not only do we have Four for the mind, one for the heart, but three for the hands and feet. So that even if I cannot figure out how to manage the feelings, anxiety will not define me or determine the path of my life. Would you like to know what Jesus says? Okay, the first five are going to go quickly. Why? Because two and a half years ago, as we were going into COVID, I preached a very similar message from Luke chapter 12 which is a parallel text. Some think that it was the Sermon on the Mount. Others go, no, this was another sermon to Jesus. But I taught that message called stress fractures. So I'm going to fly through these five rational reasons why anxiety is incompatible with the Christian life. But we're, then we're going to get below the, the waterline and talk about um, the heart and act, actions for the life. Okay, so here they are. The five irrational reasons uh, behind anxiety or rational reasons why we should not be anxious, okay? So first off, life is not in what I own. Life is not in what I own. Verse 26 or 25 says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And in Luke's gospel, it's stated this way in Luke 12, 15, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. So you put those two together and, and what you have is, even if you feel like you're not going to have enough, or you have so much, and you can be proud and say, wow, I'm doing awesome, no matter what, that's not your life. At the most, that, that food and drink and clothing are a means to an end, so that you can live real life. They are not an end in them, of, of themselves, and yet so much of the world, that's what the, the pleasure and the image, that is the point. That's all they got. And Jesus says, you know better. You know better. Life is not in what I own. Number two, anxiety cannot positively change my circumstance. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? In the Greek, this is fascinating. It can also mean an inch to your stature. And both are true. We know that anxiety cannot make you live longer or be taller. In fact... I believe that there's medical science available to, to indicate, no, it can shorten. It will shorten your life and lower your stature. Okay, so not in what I own, cannot positively change my circumstance. 
Uh, thirdly, anxiety belongs to the life of unbelief. This is the final verse, verse 34. The Gentiles seek after all these things. That's, that's who he's talking about. Gentiles did not have the gospel yet. And so they're all just categorized in this. They have pagan deities. That's not who you're, you're called to be. This is the life of unbelief. That's all they have to go after. And in fact, the word seek is emphatic. They clamor for these things because that's all they get. King David in Psalm 17, asking God to protect him from people like that, calls them this. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is this life. That's all they got. That's it. And so the pleasure of food and drink and sex, whatever else there is, and the status that can come from possessions like clothes, that's all they get. And David's got, God deliver me from those kinds of people. It belongs to the life of unbelief. Number four, anxiety is illogical or irrational. Better stated, it's irrational because anxiety doubles trouble. I want you to understand something that the promise of God's provision does not exempt us from troubles and problems. Tomorrow will be full of them. Okay, we, we don't get a pass from hard things in life because we're followers of Jesus. But here's why anxiety is irrational. Many of the things that we fear simply do not materialize. Therefore, the anxiety I experience today about things I'm scared about tomorrow, they don't materialize. I've wasted all that emotional energy. I'm drained. I cannot give myself to others. I'm exhausted. And it was unnecessary. If they do materialize tomorrow, I was anxious twice when only once was needed. It's a true statement. That's what Jesus meant by this. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day of its own trouble. And then here's the final one. It's going to lead us into the bottom line. And I, I pray that this will touch your heart and that you will believe this is true because it's all over the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father knows what you need and wants to provide. This is stated three times in three different ways in these ten verses. Verse 26, 30, and 32. Your heavenly Father feeds them, the birds. Are you not more valuable than them? Verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive to, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. That he wants you to see you're, you're valuable to the Father. I mean, he does these things for little birds and, and little flowers. Think about what he'll do for you. And then, thirdly, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows. This, this fifth rational argument forms the bottom line takeaway from our message. That if you miss everything else, please do not miss this. Three times he emphasizes the Father's presence, his watchful gaze, his tender care, his concern, his provision. Therefore, do not be anxious, but instead, and here's our bottom line. Fully trust in your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father's good heart. Fully trust, no matter what happens. Fully trust. This is stated in, in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Yeah, this is a, a united heart that is convinced instead of diffused and diffracted and anxious and to cut into parts. A single-minded, single-hearted belief, God is good. His promises are true, even if life is hard. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh my goodness, what's going on here? Those obsessive thoughts. In all your ways, acknowledge him. No matter what you're feeling and how far, do the right thing anyway. Devote it to God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And guess what? He will make your path straight. That might be after the fact, looking back. I had a testimony after yesterday. We did a, a, a memorial for Yvonne Bullard. And uh, an old friend, uh, old participant of the church grabbed me and said, God's taken us to other places. I've been so confused. He's, he's well into his 70s. He's like, and I didn't know which way. And I'm looking back now and go, wow, God, it was a straight line. Looking back on what God, where God took him and his wife. And the testimony of looking back, straight paths. The testimony, this is true. Trust him. Trust him with all your heart. So we have these five reasons. It's, it's, it's irrational. It's, it's uh, shallow, irrational, out of place in our lives. But here's the question. What if I still can't get a hold of it? What if I can't get over it? What if I'm, I'm just at best managing the emotions of anxiety? What can I do so that it will not define me? Because the truth is, you can't say, stop being anxious. Okay, I feel really peaceful now. It's like, don't think of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Oh no, I thought of him. Right? So, so what, but what can I do regardless that I'm going to walk in obedience to Christ? And I think that these, these rational arguments are really important in this heartfelt argument. Your loving Heavenly Father's good heart. What can I do in the meantime when, I'm, when my heart and my emotions are catching up with what I say I believe? And I believe that we have what we need from the, the three metaphors or illustrations that Jesus provides. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Look, the word in the Greek, emblepo. And what it means is not just a glance, like, oh, I saw it or I thought about it. We considered that for a moment. Um, to observe fixedly. To discern clearly. So it's not just like, I saw it, what do you want? I looked. It was a cactus friend. No, he says, look intently and observe um, discern clearly, and what are we supposed to discern about the birds of the air? And here's the, here's the point, here's the fill in the blank, and then I'm going to add on the bottom line and then explain where, where I see this, okay? What are we supposed to learn about the birds? Just fill in the blank here. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Cross-pollinated with the bottom line. Keep showing up as you fully trust in your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father's good heart. Keep showing up. So let me, let me give you the fuller look at this. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. Yes, that is true. But that doesn't mean that they don't work hard. They show up. And God provides for them. How does he provide for them? Do they wake up in the nest and suddenly their crop is full of seeds? No. Do, do they wake up and their mouth is full of seeds that they got to swallow into their crop? No. Do they wake up and there's a stack of seeds or bugs 
at the corner of their nest. No. Birds are some of the most busy creatures in all of creation. Okay, but watch what God does. He provides berries, seeds, fruit, roadkill. You ever see a crow just macking down on that nasty stuff? Um, you know, in Luke's gospel, Jesus even pulls, pulls that one. Um, disgusting, non-kosher, filthy ravens. And God even takes care of them. You ever been by, the, by a roadside and you see uh, little, little sparrows pecking at butterflies stuck to warm engine grills? You ever see that? It's awesome. Summer monsoons driving up through Florence and, you, and you're hitting butterflies and you pull off a roadside and these little birds come right. They know exactly where to find the good stuff. Freshly roasted on the grill. <laughs> and you know what Jesus is saying? That's all God's providence. Okay? They don't store up, but they don't give up. They show up. And that's an important takeaway that the promise of God's f uh, provision does not exempt us from showing up. And I know anxiety can de devastate you, and there's times when you're so discouraged you just want to quit. I mean, we just lived through the great resignation and, and the, the unsettling of of people and chasing greener grass everywhere or just quitting altogether and just collecting their government cheese instead of showing up and working hard. In fact, you know, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he says that when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who doesn't work, neither let him eat. And you go, that's so mean. No, it's thoroughly Christian. It's thoroughly Christian. You don't get to eat unless you show up. And same with the birds. So keep showing up. Even as you're managing those anxious feelings, what's the next right thing that you're supposed to do? All right, that's illustration number one. Illustration number two comes from the flowers. Verse 28b, consider the lilies of the field. And again, consider what a magical word. Katamanthano. To learn thoroughly, examine carefully, consider well. We're not just supposed to consider it, okay, I saw a flower once, that's good. Now we're supposed to think about this, and what about the flowers are we supposed to think about? Well, Jesus says it. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. There is something that they do and something they don't do. Jesus explains what they don't do. He says they neither toil nor spin. But what do they do? They get rooted. They stay planted. They grow down before they grow up. If plants are pulled up or, pull, or decided they, they're going to walk away, uh, the roots, they don't do very well. Not that they can. Saw it on a J.R. Tolkien movie one time, but... Um, the trees did pretty well walking around and whatnot, but plants don't do well when their roots are exposed and dried out. Neither will you. But our job is not only to show up, but to grow deep. Grow deep. Here's the point. Grow deeper. And hybridize with the bottom line. Grow deeper as you fully trust in your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father's good heart. 
Jesus said, consider them how they grow. They don't toil or spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed or arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? This is a picture from my side yard of a weed. This is crazy. This was in 2020, the driest year on record. This nasty little weed didn't get a single drop of rain. And the thing still sprouted. And I hated it. I go, just junk it up my side yard until it bloomed. And I, and I go, I can't pull that. It's gorgeous. It's a dirty, wild weed messing up my property value. And then God pops it with this. And I go, I can't, I can't pull that. Now it's gone now. Because grass does wither and is thrown into the fire. But look at that. That weed put roots down and found whatever moisture it needed. Okay, this is a funny little note. You know where it's at? Right next to our septic tank. <laughs> so even if evaporation coming up through the soil, whatever, it found what it needed. But according to Jesus, God the Father provided the blossom. Because I didn't pull it up. And it didn't get up. It went and it grew deep. Now, what would this look like in our context? I've just got, got two ideas. I've already sort of mentioned one. I would say this, that the scripture, in what it says about the godly person, it absolutely has a bias toward faith. And go if God says go. However... The overall bias of scripture is stay, remain, abide, cultivate faithfulness and friendship and fidelity and stability all throughout the scriptures. The righteous man or woman of God is a stable person. Again, the, the great resignation, everyone Excuse me, everyone coming unglued, leaving careers, leaving schools, leaving majors, leaving marriages, leaving churches. But the righteous are fixed and stable. So there's a bias towards stability. But secondly, there's a bias toward being rooted in self feeding spiritual practices and growing ourselves deep into the things of God. And the ideas of scripture reading, scripture memorization, uh, meditation on God's word, journaling, getting in small groups and reflecting on what God is teaching you, where you're not waiting to just be spoon-fed by a preacher, but you are actually taking responsibility. You are growing deep by those spiritual practices. Um, one quick story. I got a cough again. Do not get me water, I will get through this. Um, Yvonne Bullard's memorial yesterday, at the end, I got to tell a story that perhaps I only knew. And that was this, three years ago when she discovered that she had blood cancer, it rocked her world. And I remember after church service, hearing it back by those double doors. Those double doors weren't in yet, but we had a door. Um, and hugging her and praying over her while she wept. She was scared of dying. 
she had another three very good years. And by every account, by her bedside in hospice, Yvonne Bullard was overwhelmed with the peace of Christ. And by the end, no fear. She was ready to see her Savior. Where did she get that strength? Well, if you were to re read her biography that was read in the service, Yvonne grew in strength through scripture memorization and Bible study. And that became her rooting. And that became where she discovered what she needed for the peace of God which surpasses understanding. And she finished well. She grew deep. So one, keep showing up. Two, grow deeper. Third illustration is that of a treasure hunter. And it's found in verse 33 where Jesus says, but instead of, and all those other things, make this priority back to the single-eyed devotion. Seek first. You've got to manage these other areas. You've got to pay attention. You've got to show up. But first priority in anything and everything that you ever do, no matter what it is, first priority, the kingdom of God, of God and his righteousness. And here's the, the um, fill in the blank, make God's kingdom your single-eyed ambition. And cross-pollinated with that bottom line, make God's kingdom your single-eyed ambition as you fully trust in your powerful, loving, heavenly Father's good heart. And what's the promise that when we do this, the issues of life are provided. All these things will be added to you. Now, this does not mean that there will not be problems. This does not mean that there will not be troubles. This does not mean that there won't be persecution and maybe even death. That is not guaranteed. What it means is that God's hand is on and over your life. Therefore, anything that comes on you must first pass through that hand. And God knows and loves and has good things in store for you. My job is to have a single-eyed, united heart, a priority over the, the hidden, spiritual, eternal things of God's kingdom and righteousness. Over and above the physical things of this life. That that is my ambition. Back to what King David said. Remember when he was talking about God's preserve me from these wicked men whose portion is this life? He concludes by saying, as for me, distinguishing myself from that kind of mindset about just an earthly, shallow, physical, temporal life. He says, as for me, verse 15, Proverbs, or Psalm 17, 15, as for me. I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. That's a metaphor for death. To wake up in the next life, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. He cannot wait. His ambition is the kingdom of God and his righteousness so much so that he wants to wake up in glory and gaze into the face of his creator and savior. That's his single-eyed ambition. So here's the question in that for you, for me, what of God's kingdom and righteousness today, regardless of how I'm feeling, regardless uh, of, of emotions of anxiety, what is it that I have 
to prioritize as the activity of my hands and feet. Keep showing up, grow deeper, make the kingdom of God your single-eyed ambition, and your heavenly Father will take care of the rest, but we must trust in the all-powerful, loving heavenly Father's good heart. Now, I've got good news about Russell the puppy. He did live. Yes, it was a very expensive vet bill. And I want to let you know that for you and your anxiety and every other hot mess in your life, even your personal sin struggles, bad behaviors, regrets, there's also a very expensive life-saving antidote for you. I've got good news that someone else paid the tab. It's free, no charge. But you'll have to receive it. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome, Romans 8, 31 through 32, two Christians that had already believed, but this could also be good for you that don't yet believe. You have not received him as Savior and Lord, but listen to what God did on our behalf. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but offered him up freely. He paid, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, paid the ultimate price. He took the venom in himself and defeated it at the cost of his life. And he rose from the dead and he asks you to come to him, to believe in him, to receive the gift, to take the antidote for both your sins and your struggles, to receive that. And to be made whole. He says, how, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus tells us in these verses that we've looked at today that God the Father actually cares about little birds and little flowers. But can I tell you something? Jesus did not come to earth, live 33 years, perfectly and go to the cross and die for little birds and little flowers he did that for you but in order to have it you must receive him as savior and lord you do that with a simple act of faith in a simple heart attitude and prayer why not right now the antidote for sin antidote for anxiety or any other thing that God gave it all for you. What about the rest of you who've already received Jesus? What would be different in your life, in your heart, if you believed these things to be true, or at least in the lack of feeling free, you still did the right thing? What would change in your life tomorrow? And then finally, Journey Church. So we're about 220. We were up to 340. We went down to 40. COVID was nasty. Uh, church attendance patterns are different. So we're, three, we're, we're 220, 220 people. But what if 220 people were convinced, so much so of God's truth, that every single one of us, from the greatest to the least, the oldest to the youngest, made God's kingdom and righteousness our single-eyed ambition? I have a dream. I have a dream, a church of hearts on fire, a single-minded devotion 
No matter what else that we want to do, or we're interested in, things we got to manage, life we're going to live. But first and foremost, God's kingdom and righteousness. Wow. 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 I want to be a part of that church. How about you? So fully trust in your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father's good heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for your faithfulness to us, your, your provision. Thank you for the promises, Jesus. Thank you for, man, like an 11-fold argument why this, we have no need to be anxious. Lord Jesus, in the parts that we can't manage on our own just by right thinking, would you please unite our hearts? Would you please bring our, our eyes back to a single-eyed focus. Would you restore our spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional health? We love you and we need you. And we say this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.